You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I love that video because, again, it is just such a great reminder that there are just things in our relationship with the Lord that are going to move us forward And there are things that are going to move us backwards in our walk with our Heavenly Father. Um, So the next several weeks, I kind of want to just focus on those things that, you know, are going to kind of move us forward uh, in our relationship, as well as looking at some things that will kind of maybe move us backwards in our walk and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Because when it comes to our relationship with God, like the video said, we are never just standing still. We're either going forward in our walk or we're going backwards in our walk. We are never just stationary. So this morning, I want to look at one of the major forces that I think really can kind of tend to pull us backwards in our walk with God, and that is the force of negativity. Negativity comes dressed up in a lot of different ways, gossip, sarcasm, cynicism, pessimism, secrets, slander. I mean, I feel like I kind of sound like a snake, you know, saying all of those words. And you know what? You'll kind of be acting like a snake if you're living out all those kinds of words. And, And again, negativity is all about words. It disguises itself in different terms, And all of us have been on both the giving and the receiving end of negativity. Now, right off the bat, I'm sure every one of us here this morning would acknowledge negativity is not a good thing in our lives, right? But let's be honest, as human beings, we are also really just attracted. We are drawn to negativity like ants are to a picnic, Okay, we love negativity. We are drawn to stories, you know, that that have an element of negativity to it. It's the reason we kind of clicked on it, or or we turn the volume up on the television, or we buy that particular magazine on the magazine rack because ninety-five percent of media is negative, and we thrive on that. We love to know the dirt, the garbage on other people. But really, before we really point the finger of blame at the media, let's just be honest. The media is simply a reflection of what we want. They simply peddle what we want. The dirty laundry, the gossipy stories, you know, the dirt on your favorite celebrities and or politicians. I remember growing up, my parents used to listen to a lot of country western music. And as a kid, I didn't really pay that much attention to the lyrics. But as I got older, I kind of started listening to some of the lyrics. And I just kind of found that a lot of, not all, but certainly a lot of country music at that time, it really kind of seemed to be focusing on, you know, drinking, um, you know, cheating on your wife or your significant other, leaving your wife or your significant other, um, divorce. I mean, I, I remember Kenny Rogers, you know, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. I mean, you go back and, and that was a really popular song when I was growing up. And you go back and you just look at the lyrics of that. And, and it's just really 
depressing. It's just really a very negative um, thing. And, and so for me, I just remember growing up, country Western music kind of really painted a very negative picture of life. And, and it's not just negativity from the media and from music. We also really at times can find ourselves, if we're not careful, surrounded by a lot of negative people. It could be people we you know, live with. It could be people we work with, people we run with. I know there are certain people in just my extended family where I've just got to be really, really careful when I'm around them or when I'm talking with them because, again, there's just a lot of negativity that flows out of them. And before long, after you know, enough of that, you kind of just start you know, becoming very negative um, yourself. And, and again, their outlook on life just always kind of seems to be the glass is half empty rather than half full. So I believe if we really want to move forward and continue moving forward in our relationship with God and with others, we have got to learn how to negotiate and to navigate around negativity. The Bible gives us example after example, thankfully, you know, of how to steer our lives around and through all of that negativity. Uh, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 11. He says, all of the things that we find written in the Bible, Paul says they were written there as an example to us to kind of teach us what to do, what not to do. And I don't know about you, but whenever I kind of think about a group of people who seem to kind of have their doctorate degree in negativity, one group that kind of rises to the surface for me is the nation of Israel, especially there in the Old Testament. These were God's chosen people. And this morning, I want to kind of just look at one story in particular because there are some things that are happening in this story that I think can really teach us a lot uh, and, and help us in regards to negativity. Now, before we do that, uh, you know, jump into the story, I want you to kind of consider some historical facts surrounding the nation of Israel. You'll remember that at one point, they had been enslaved. They were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And God speaks to Moses and uses Moses to go and to lead the people out of slavery and bring them into a place that God promises them. And you remember, may remember some of the stories around that exodus. You know, God parts the Red Sea so that they're able to walk across on dry land. You remember that God kind of led them uh, by a cloud during the day, fire by night. I mean, you know, God is there and, he, and he's feeding them uh, these multitudes using quail and manna. I mean, there's just so much happening in, in, in all that God is doing. And, and it's just this exciting faith building stuff happening here. At one point, um, God speaks to Moses and he says, I want you to select 12 men. One man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and I want you to select them, and I want you to task them to go into the land I am going to give you, and I want them to go in and just spy that land out. So these spies, these 12 men, they go into the land of Canaan, and they come back, and 10 of the 12 who went, they come back with a negative 
report. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to kind of begin there in verse 27. Otherwise, you can just follow me here on the screen. And it says, after exploring the land for 40 days, so they've been there for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. So they find this fruit and it's just enormous. And so they kind of bring some of that back as kind of a testimony as to what this land contains. And their report to Moses was this. They said, we entered the land you sent us to explore and it is indeed a bountiful country a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is just a sample of the kind of fruit it produces. But, any time you say the word but, you have just canceled out everything you just said. They said, but the people living there are powerful, they're strong, they're mighty, Their towns are large and they're fortified. And he said, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Now, the first thing I want you to kind of see in this story is that negativity runs in packs. It does. You show me one person who's negative around the office, I'll show you an office full of negative people. You show me a negative coach, I'll show you a negative team. You show me a CEO who is negative, and I'll show you a company that is negative. Negativity breeds negativity. Negativity always runs in packs. And these 10 spies really should have kept their negative report just between themselves and Moses, but they didn't. They shared this negative report with the entire community. They should have just taken Moses aside and privately shared with him the negative aspects of their report, but rather they just share it all out there in the community. Because again, negativity begs to be shared. Negativity says, oh, you, you want to hear this bad news Oh, you want to look at this dirty laundry. You want to know what I heard. You want to know what I saw. I mean, it just begs to be shared. The other thing to keep in mind is these these spies, they were sent out not to bring back an opinion. They were sent out to bring back a strategy, a plan of how they were going to take that land. They weren't sent there to spy out, to determine whether they should take the land. They were sent there to determine how to take the land. The spies, they were not asked for their opinion, but when they came back and gave it anyway, the report they gave was a very negative one. So it kind of begs the question, why do we kind of like those spies? I mean, not a lot has changed So why do we like those spies? I mean, why are we always, you know, kind of leaning toward, why do we have this bent, this tendency toward negativity? 
I believe the biggest reason that people kind of are inclined to negativity is fear. Fear of failure, fear of people, fear of taking risk, fear of circumstances, whatever it may be, it all really kind of boils down to one thing, and that is fear. You hear it in the detail of the reports the spies are giving, don't you? They said the people living there, oh man, they are so powerful. They're so strong. The towns, they're, they're large and they're really fortified. And, and did we mention there's giants living there? Big giants, many giants. And the more the 10 spies talked, the more fear they sowed into the nation of Israel. Negativity will do that. It just spreads like wildfire. Verse 32, so these 10, they spread this bad report among the land of the Israelites. And look at the response of the nation of Israel in Numbers 14, verse one. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had just died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they exclaimed. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Do you hear what they're saying here? Our wives, our children, they are going to be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us just to turn around and go back to Egypt? That's what they're saying here. And it says that they plotted amongst themselves, let us choose a new leader and we wanna go back to Egypt. Do you see the effect their negativity had on everyone? The people hear the report and it says they just begin to weep and they wail all night long. Do you notice something else they do in that? They exaggerate. Negativity kind of breeds that. We, we go negative and we kind of just begin to exaggerate everything. And look, look what they're saying. They're kind of just saying, you know, uh, again, man, Look, uh, you know, God, he's just taking us into battle so he can kill us. It's not what God was doing at all. But again, when, when people get, get negative, they just tend to exaggerate. Oh, the, 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 you know, our, our wives, our children, they're just going to become slaves. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. It's what negativity does. It stirs people up. It causes them to exaggerate. They, they just start blowing everything way out of proportion. Now, thankfully, among these spies, there were two men. There were two in that group who had a completely different take on the same scenario. Joshua and Caleb. Now, listen to their recommendation, their report in Numbers 13.30. This is what they said. They said, let us go up at once, immediately, and let's take possession, for we can certainly conquer it. Now, this is interesting. Twelve spies go out as one group, and yet they come back as two separate groups, the majority and the minority. Now, both groups, interestingly, they traveled the same route, 
They experienced the same view. They all saw the same thing. And yet they come back with two entirely different reports. One group sees the opportunities. The other group sees the obstacles. One group sees the grapes. The other group sees the giants. One group sees the blessings. The other one sees the burdens. You know, somebody has observed that you can complain because rose bushes have thorns or you can rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. It's all in the way you choose to look at it. There's a story of three workmen who had hammers and they were chiseling uh, and cutting huge stones. A man happened to walk by them and he said to the men, what are you doing? One man said, oh, I'm just chipping away at a bit of stone. The other man said, I'm just trying to make a living for my family and me. The third man said, I am building a cathedral. Do you know what the difference was between the majority and the minority, I can tell you in one word, vision. I don't get the impression that the only difference between these two groups was positive thinking. Again, verse 30, if you isolate that, take it out of its context, it certainly can sound like that. I think one of the greatest heresies kind of being spewed and sown in the church today is, you know, this thinking that says, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Now, again, I think there, we ought to be, you know, thinking positively, but I think we also need to be, re, you know, we need to be steeped in reality. And we don't ever want to just, you know, use positive thinking in place of positive actions. A little boy came home and told his dad he had flunked his math test. His dad said, son, that's negative, think positive. The son replied and said, I'm positive, I flunked my math test. What Joshua and Caleb had was not positive thinking alone, but they had a vision. They had faith in that vision because that vision was God birthed, it was God given. You're going to see that these men had every reason to rejoice, to be bold, and to push back against the negativity of the majority. So let me just give you a couple of reasons why Joshua and Caleb had every reason to be bold and positive in this situation. Because they're the same reasons you and I can be bold and positive even in negative circumstances. So first, they're carrying out God's plan. Now, in Numbers 14, verse 8, this is Caleb and Joshua speaking. They said, if the Lord's delight is in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. What you got to understand is going to Canaan, was not their idea, it was God's idea. This was God's plan. They did not discover Canaan on their own. They didn't accidentally stumble onto it. They were led by God himself to Canaan. So we need to be clear, this was God's plan for the nation of Israel. And you may as well come to terms with the fact that if you're gonna follow after God, there are going to be times where you are gonna be taken into a land filled with giants. And you may be surrounded 
and outnumbered by a bunch of negative Nellies, it doesn't change the fact this was God's plan. It's his doing. It's his purpose. But the people of Israel are going to learn a very hard lesson that it is way better to be in the center of God's will, even if that means being in a land filled with a bunch of giants, than it is to be out of God's will. Second thing was they were calling on God's power. Again, here is Caleb, Joshua, they're speaking in verse nine, and they said, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Now, not every translation says that, but I specifically chose this one because I love this. What they were essentially saying is, we're going to eat these people for lunch. They're these giants. They're like bread. We are going to eat them alive. The majority, they looked at those giants and they said, you are so much bigger and stronger and more powerful than we are. Caleb and Joshua, they looked at those same giants and they said, our God is so much greater and stronger than you. See, if you look at the giants, then all you are gonna see of yourself is you're nothing more than a grasshopper. But if you get your eyes on God, and keep them on God. Every giant, no matter how big, no matter how numerous, no matter how powerful, those giants will always look like a grasshopper. Negativity causes you to look at the wrong things and draw the wrong conclusions. Always. Negativity will do that. Cause you to look at the wrong things and draw the wrong conclusions. And as you go through life, every one of us, from time to time, you are going to have to face giants. You're going to have to fight giants. But you never have to fear giants because giants can never hurt you. They can only help you. God puts giants in our lives not to build fear. He puts those giants in our lives to build faith. You grow faith and you defeat negativity by gobbling up and conquering giants. They are the breakfast of champions, right? (laughs) Thirdly, they were claiming God's promise. Notice back over in chapter 13, verse two, God is saying to Moses, he says, you send these men out to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Now notice God did not say, I will give. He said, I am giving. It was done. Big difference. The reason Joshua and Caleb had such confidence and boldness in their approach was they had the title deed in their back pocket. The land was already given to them. It was already theirs. All they had to do was go in and take possession. They were not fighting for victory. They were fighting from victory. All God was calling them to do was to go into the land and to fight a war that had already been won. 
Fourth, they were clinging to God's protection. Now, this is a very interesting statement in verse nine. Notice what, what uh, Caleb and Joshua says. It says, their protection has departed from them. Joshua and Caleb, they're saying, they have no protection. Their protection has left them, but ours hasn't. In other words, they're saying they may have the size, but we have the strength. They may have the physical advantage. We have the spiritual advantage. They have everything but God. We have nothing but God. And folks, as long as God is for you and with you, nothing else matters. Fifth, they were counting on God's presence. Verse nine continues, Joshua and Caleb says, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The giants had everything they wanted, but the Israelites had the only one thing they needed, and that was God. When we face giants, in our lives, no matter how big, no matter how bold, no matter how brutal they may appear to be, I want you to remember these words from Psalm 27, beginning in verse one. And David is writing this from a position of having faced many giants, not just Goliath, but, but many other kinds of giants and obstacles and difficulties in his life. And here's what he says. The Lord is my revelation light to guide me along the way. He's the source of my salvation to defend me every day. I fear no one. I'll never turn back and run from you, Lord. Surround and protect me. When the evil one comes to destroy me, they will be the ones who turn back. My heart will not be afraid, even if an army rises to attack. I know that you are there for me, so I will not be shaken. If anything, this passage should teach us and remind us that we should never be swayed nor influenced by negativity and we should never take our cues from the crowd but rather from God. There are some cases where the majority rules but you gotta understand the majority isn't always right. In 1939, Gallup took a poll and they asked Americans, how many of them would buy a gadget called a television? Only 16% of Americans back in 1939 said they would ever buy a television. Yet in the next 30 years, Americans bought over 175 million sets. If the television industry had waited for the majority vote of confidence, we would still be listening to the radio, which may not be a bad thing, I don't know. But because in this instance, the majority ruled, because the negative voices were listened to, because the people took their cues from the crowd rather than from God, instead of being Canaanite conquerors, the nation of Israel became wilderness wanderers. And God's speaking here in Numbers 14, beginning in verse 33, and, and we're gonna begin to see 
some of the fallout of this negativity. And here's what God said. And your children shall be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last of you lies dead in the wilderness. Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it is like to have me for an enemy. Man, those are strong words, strong consequences. This is the fruit, the byproduct of negativity. A sales manager called his sales people together to try to encourage them to look at things differently, to try to see things from a different perspective. And he had this big white poster board. And in the middle of this poster board, he had drawn a black circle about the size of a quarter. And he asked each of the salesmen to come up and tell what they saw on that poster. Well, the first salesman gets up and he says, I see a black dot. Second salesman gets up and he says, I see a black dot. Third salesman gets up and he says, I see a black dot. At that point, the sales manager looked at all of them and said, isn't it strange that all of you saw the black dot, but none of you saw all the white around it? I don't know about you, but I think we all kind of struggle with that from time to time. I know I do. Sometimes I'll see the black dot and I'll miss all the white. I'll see the negatives and I'll miss all the positives. Oftentimes we can see all of the struggles and we forget the victories. We're so caught up in fear, we miss the faith. We all tend to want to look around the church and see all of the people who aren't here anymore rather than the people who are. This is nothing new, folks. Remember back in John chapter 6? There's a story where Jesus feeds the multitude. They come to hear him teach, and Jesus sees that they're hungry. And so rather than send them off, he just tells the disciples, just tell them to have a seat. And they sit down there on the grassy slopes. You remember Jesus takes the fish, the bread, he blesses it, multiplies it, and he uses two fish and some bread to feed a multitude. They even had leftovers. And, and the people, they were amazed at what Jesus was able to do. They were so impressed. As a matter of fact, they came back the next day just as hungry and said, feed us again, Lord. And this time, Jesus had some pretty tough, pretty hard words for them. And what Jesus said to them, the people disliked so much that the scripture says in John 6, verse 66, that the multitudes who heard the tough things that Jesus said, they turned and they followed him no more. What did Jesus do? Jesus looked to the ones who remained and he said, will you go also? And then Peter speaks those infamous words, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. They chose to look at what Jesus had to offer them 
See, we want to focus on, and some want to continue to live in the past. And when we do that, we're going to miss what God is doing and what God wants to do, both now and into the future. We can maximize the voices of those grumbling and gossiping. And I'll tell you what, when we do that, we're going to minimize the voice of God, the promises of God. And we can choose as a congregation, as individuals, we can choose to focus on the negative. Or we can choose to focus on the positives. And I'll just be honest with you, over these last several months, you know, even over the summer, I really had to choose. What am I going to focus on? What am I going to look at? What am I going to listen to? And I really had to discipline myself to choose to focus on the positives, to the promises of God, to the future and what God wanted to do with me, what God wanted to do with our church and not be overcome and overrun with all the negatives. And I want you to know, it is like that in every sphere of life. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. says, all of this was recorded. All of these stories were written as an example so that you and I could learn something so that we are not doomed to repeat the same failures. Amen? Let's stand together. Father. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.